Good to be with you today. Special thank you to Evan, Nikki, mentioned Lauren, Mark, and others that were involved in preparing for this uh, this day. This is a special. I tend not to watch those videos with uh, the one-year-old and then the 18-year-old. Makes me cry, especially when the guitar's playing along. But oof, all that goodness from zero to 18. And for those who are parents and grandparents, even more, it feels like that, just that fast. It's really something. It's good to see you <clears throat> after a bit of absence. It will be good to be back at the end of the month. This year, this year that we thought going into was going to be a time of great vision. 2020 became the theme for us. We're going to see clearly in 2020 that was going to be the marketing language. Uh, 2020 was supposed to be a year of promise, and then it got turned into an international year of death and fog and delay, the opposite of what we had anticipated. Plans turned upside down. And for those, I mean, Mark offhand saying, was there a graduation last year? I don't know. I forget. It's all a fog. But there is a graduation this year. But those that have been anticipating their senior year, grief compounded with all sorts of other matters that came into play that you weren't, you weren't expecting. You are expecting just the opposite. Surgeries, emotional trauma, athletic opportunities that were erased, like we were in a deep fog. I prepared a sermon for this morning, and the seniors will say, oh, no, because you've been asked to wait. I'm going to ask you to wait. I'm going to ask you to wait till the end of the sermon. I want you to listen and wait till the end, and you will say, we've been waiting long enough. <laughs> I don't want to wait any longer for anything, especially a sermon. But the text will come from Peter's arrest and deliverance. It's found in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. This sermon is meant to, in some ways, uh, illustrate that we go to the text and we stay in the text long enough for meaning to surface, and that we don't abuse the text by using it for our own devices, tempting as that is. It's a powerful passage. It's what some would call Peter's swan song. It's his last major appearance in Luke's two-volume work. The first volume, of course, being the Gospel of Luke, and the second volume being the book of Acts. Here's how the story goes. About that time, King Herod laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to do harm to them. And he had James executed with the sword. And when he saw that the execution of James pleased the population, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. Now these were the days of unleavened bread during the Passover. And when he arrested Peter, he put him into prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to wait till after the Passover so that he could execute him publicly. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church, the church was intensely praying for Peter. And on the very night when Herod was to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. 
He was bound with chains, with guards in front of the door, watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter, and a light shone in the cell, and the angel struck Peter's side and awoke him, and the angel said, get up quickly. And Peter's chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, put on your belt, strap up your sandals, and he did. And then the angel said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so Peter went out following the angel, not knowing what was being done, not knowing that the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And now when they had passed the first and then the second guard, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, and the gate opened for them by itself. And they went out, traveling along one street, and when suddenly the angel disappeared. And then Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And when he realized this, he went straight to the house of Mary, that was John Mark's mother. And there were many people gathered there to pray. And when he knocked on the door of the gate, a servant girl, whose name was Rhoda, came to answer. Oh, Rhoda recognized Peter's voice. But because of her joy, she did not open the gate. Instead, she ran in and announced, and announced that Peter, Peter was standing in the front of the gate. Oh, they said to her, oh, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and then they said, must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. But Peter, with a hand, his hand motioned them to be quiet. And then he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, report these things to the apostles and to the others. And then he left and he went to another place. The title of the sermon is God is a God of Second Chances. This text has been dealt with in various ways over time. Some have found the story so utterly funny, almost a routine for stand-up. Rhoda at the gate, she leaves Peter knocking at the door while the debate rages inside of who it is. Funny, funny Rhoda. Or the angel who's telling, treating Peter like Peter's a little child. Put on your shoes. Don't forget your coat. Do you have your lunch money? (laughs) Like a parent with a kindergartner. Or how about midway through the story, suddenly (laughs) Peter realizes he's not dreaming. Pretty funny. Uh, And then... The, there's different levels of humor, kind of a sophisticated humor, for humor if you're into that. The angel gets Peter out of jail against incredible odds. There's chains, there's bars, there's double guards. But he can't get through the gate to the home because he's mistaken for an angel. Yeah. That's one way to treat this as stand-up, kind of using the Bible as a springboard so we can dive into our own routine. Or... We could treat this as a source for some real technical theological argument. What's one thing that Peter was released from prison, and aren't we happy about that? 
Peter at the celebration dinner saying, I want to thank everybody. God answers prayers, doesn't he? Everybody give me an amen, amen. Martha, Martha, honey, stand up. Martha, stand up. Everybody give it up for Martha. Petey, little Pete, come up here. God answers the prayers of children, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And then we look around the room and there over in the corner is the table where James's widow is sitting. And James' family is there without James. And we think, oh, wait. He answered the prayers for Peter, but what about James? And we begin to get into a little philosophical argument. Why not James? Why wasn't James spared? Why did James have to die and things like that? I know a man who a few years back thought he was going through a midlife crisis and he wrote the words to this chart topper, why me? You can hum along if you like. Why me is a recurring refrain. Why me? Basement leaks and so does the roof. Dryer's out. I feel like a goof. Why me? Why me? Mark, help me out here. Car won't run. The house needs painting. I'm out of money. My body's failing. Why me? Why me? All right, I won't go on. You see what I'm doing with the text on that one. I'm opening it up with a crowbar, taking it hostage, drifting drifting off into the land of narcissism. Why me, though, isn't Luke's perspective. I can sing, oven won't work, dishwasher too, molds in the basement, I'm feeling blue. But Luke doesn't focus on little Jimmy, uh, if there was one. He doesn't focus on Mrs. James, for that matter. Both James and Peter are victims to the government, to the Roman government, in the person of Herod Agrippa. He's the victimizer. Herod is an evil man, and he's after anybody who threatens his power and ego. And that's what this story is about. It's a story of God working in our lives, of God working against the forces of evil and God working through the life of the church. And so we might pay attention to what Luke is doing in this story. When we look at the, God, at the book of Acts, Luke's second volume in a two-volume work, the first volume being the gospel, when we look at the book of Acts, we don't see little patterns of worship being established for us to imitate What we see when we look at the book of Acts is the church looking back as one investigating how Jesus lived his life and they try to do the same. It's called the second incarnation. And so when we look at the book of Acts, we see the church looking back, Luke looking back at the first volume and we remember the story of Peter. We remember Peter, for example, the fisherman who after a mammoth catch of fish left everything to follow Jesus. We remember Peter who tried to walk on water, but seeing the wind he became afraid and said, help me Jesus. We remember Peter who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and not knowing what to say, he opened his mouth and said something. We remember Peter when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But the story that we most remember and the story that Luke wants us to remember here is his notorious worst moment when on the very night that he promised, the very night that he bragged, though everybody else will deny you, I won't deny you, and then he denied him three times. And now in the story in Acts 12 is Peter's goodbye appearance. It's his swan song. It's his last major appearance in Luke's work. What makes it so interesting is that Luke uses a number of allusions so that we don't misremember 
Peter's great failure. He reminds us of Peter's lowest moment, his worst defeat, when he denied Jesus three times. Here in Acts, just like in the Gospel, when Jesus was imprisoned, Peter's imprisoned during Passover. They laid hands on Peter, the same language he uses of Jesus. Peter was arrested. Peter was delivered over. He was led forth. Luke's language again and again and again. And then, after Jesus rose from the dead, the event is announced by two figures in Luke who are angels. And just before Peter is scheduled for execution, an angel tells tells him to arise, the very language that's used of Jesus' resurrection. I've counted eight. I don't know where you're at in that list of illusions. And then this. When the resurrected Jesus appears in the community, the community, the text, Luke says, disbelieves for joy. Let that rumble around in your head a bit. That's so, such an unusual phrase, disbelieve for joy. And when Peter gets to the house, Rhoda won't open the door, we're told, for joy. The community of believers initially think that it's Peter's ghost that Rhoda has seen. Peter's, I mean, Peter's angel that Rhoda has seen. All of these literary allusions are overwhelming, and they connect our text with the original story of his, of his failure in, Luke, in Luke's gospel. So let me ask the question that you were asking about three minutes ago. So what? <laughs> what is, what, what's Luke telling us? What's the point here? I thought you'd never ask. For one thing, Luke is telling us that the story of Jesus continues in the church. It's the second incarnation. But there's more. It's the arrest, the threat of death, even the servant girl, causes us to recall his worst failure when he denied three, Jesus three times. But now in Acts, now in Acts, Peter has an opportunity for a different ending. He has an opportunity for victory. Now, Peter's no, no saint, even though some will call him a saint. But he's had victory now in a similar situation, a, a situation that has all the earmarks, listen to this word, all the trigger points of his worst failure. And when I say trigger points, most of you know what I'm talking about. It's the same smells, the same sounds, the same feeling that went with that stumble, that failure that was earlier in your life. It's no coincidence that Peter's last story parallels his worst story. And Luke presents Peter's last appearance in the same context as his worst experience. So what allows Peter to conquer? What allows Peter to be victorious in the same situation? How did his second chance not just become another slot for spiraling out of control? Maybe you remember Peter's, Jesus' words to Peter on the night of his, of his denial. Do you remember? Jesus said, Satan demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you, Jesus said. I'm praying that your faith will not fail. Jesus prayed for him. God is the God of second chances. And like Peter, this congregation this morning is filled with people who have stumbled, shall we say, failed in some way. Need I go into detail? A marriage, a separation, 
a divorce, failure in finance, some bankruptcy, failure at work, passed over for promotion, if we're honest, for reason, parenting, failures, not learning to live with what we need, but rather what we want. I won't go on, but if I did, we'd all be implicated. Paul sums it up this way. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's hopes for us. And then into our lives comes the grace of God, forgiveness. Penitent like Peter, who wept bitterly after he heard the rooster crow, comes spiritual renewal. And Jesus says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying specifically that your faith will not fail. He prays for us, Jesus does. And God is a God of second chances, even for folks like me and you, people who failed. And for you and for me will come opportunity when God grants us a second or third opportunity. And into your life will come the same situations as before, the same trigger points. Triggers that were precursors to a pit of failure. Same people, same sounds, same smells, same situations. Only this time, instead of bowing to temptation, you experience the victory. Once under the curse of alcohol, the same demon, the same bar, the similar stresses, that feeling of hopelessness. Instead, we don't say deja vu. We give an opportunity for victory through Jesus. We listen to him. He says, I'm praying for you that your, that your faith will not fail. We call the friend who reminds us of who we are, the community that's been formed over the last several years, and experience the God of second chances. Some of us here in this room have suffered abuse of some kind. When we were children, it was verbal, it was physical, it was emotional. And now as a parent, in a, in a position of authority, perhaps a grandparent, we have an opportunity to break that cycle, offer to replace the vortex of pain with good, healthy love. We don't say deja vu. We listen to Jesus who says, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And we call the friend who says, this is an opportunity to be who you are, to remind us that God is a God of second chances and that Jesus is praying for us. And so Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the gate. You recall the last servant girl that Peter had interaction with. You remember what happened there? Luke says it this way. She looked intently at him and, and said to those gathered around the fire, this man too was with Jesus. To which Peter says, I don't know him. A lot happened since then. Bitter weeping happened since then. Repentance happened. Forgiveness. Grace happened. And Jesus was praying for him. I recall from a previous ministry, a work the congregation was doing to help those recovering from the emotional ravages of divorce. We identified a real and deep need in the community and we invited a speaker from Colorado to come out and address the group. People invited their divorced friends, their divorced neighbors, their divorced bankers, their divorced grocery clerks, and they all came. The, the fellowship hall was filled with 250 people who had been through the ravages of divorce. They were there from, of every color, of all the economic statuses. And then into the room came our speaker. Now, the divorce recovery ministry didn't have much funding. We had to go cheap, and so all we could offer was airfare and lunch. 
So we found a speaker who only charged airfare and lunch, and we got what we paid for, I thought, when he stood up to speak. What I discovered to my horror was that this man had a discernible and disturbing stutter. At first, I thought he'll get over it, he'll get comfortable, but he didn't. It seemed to get worse. But he had been divorced, and he knew the pain, and he spoke with such integrity of having lived through the heartbreak of rejection and failure that he said that God had given him a second chance and that he had felt Jesus praying for him. And I looked around the room and there were divorced truck drivers and divorced waitstaff and engineers and school teachers and they were all leaning into him and they were all listening and most of them were crying when they heard about God's forgiveness and God's grace that Jesus would be praying for them and that God was a God of second chances. And with a group like us, who knows our way around the Bible, if we were to take a poll and I were to ask you of all the characters in the New Testament, which is the one that you most identify with? I'll bet you that Peter would get the most votes. We identify with him because of his sinfulness, we identify with him because of his honesty, probably. But if that's also true, we identify with Peter because we want victory in the next opportunity. We want Jesus praying for us. And in the setting of our worst defeat, we want victory. Now, this is no story for the self-absorbed, the narcissist, the navel-gazer, the man who sings, Why Me? Nor should it be read as biblical comedy, the lightness of being, funny, funny Rhoda. No, this is a story for those who remember Peter and remember Pe Jesus' words to Peter on the night that he was denied. We remember that Jesus said that Satan demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. And we remember that Jesus prayed for him. And we remember that Jesus prays for us and he prays for our community and this congregation. This is the story where God uses Peter as he will use you, addressing head on some of the ugliest scenes, even the ugliest year of our lives, to have victory over the sins for some of us, over the events that once claimed us, that once defined us. He told Peter he would pray for him, that his faith not fail, and Jesus prays for us, that we believe in the God of second chances, that we embrace the prayers of Jesus who's praying for us. And so to you seniors, thank you for once again waiting. In this year of fog, circumstances that were not of your doing, you did nothing wrong, you did not bring on the pandemic the fog, the delay. It's the opposite of what you'd been told would be your senior year, 2020, the year of great vision and the year of great promise. And then sometimes grief was compounded with further grief, grief, oftentimes none of your doing. But there will come a time when those of us over 50 are long gone, we'll be dead and buried and maybe some forgotten of us, but you'll be 20 years from now, or 30 years from now, or 50 years from now. There will come events. There will be trigger points. 
There will be situations that will smell and sound so much like 2020 and 2021. And you'll recall the events. Remember this. In that opportunity that will come your way, in that opportunity that will come your way, remember, Jesus says, Satan demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you, praying that your faith will not fail.